Welcome to Stem Fatale. Your women in science. What is it? Your women in science history <laughs> podcast. What is it? Who are what we? What have we been doing for months? <sighs> um, yeah, I know. Yeah, guys. Are we even fresher than yeah. our last episode? So minty fresh. <laughs> the sound. Not, I mean, we are fresh in our style. I don't know what that means. And I showered yesterday. <laughs> so <laughs> I pretty did fresh. I shower yesterday. Pretty Gross. fresh in both regards. Yeah. But do we sound so crisp and clean? Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> we're, we're in a fancy recording studio. Yeah. It's called the Foundry. Yeah, in the Fine Arts Library at UT. Yeah, so yeah. hopefully we're just going to so keep keep improving in the rec- <laughs> No, I think we've probably plateaued in the yeah, recording Yeah, this sound. is probably it. Yeah. This is like the the only thing we can afford because it's free. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you need to like make out with the microphone a little more or I don't know. Does it I don't think I have to really make out with it. Okay. I'll put it a little closer though. I don't want to knock into it a bunch. Yeah, I understand. I understand. Yeah. We'll see, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> what if I still sound really far away because like, I still don't it. know how to use a microphone after this? We're still just plugged into my Mac. Yeah. Somehow. <laughs> um, all right. Okay. So are you ready to start? <laughs> I'm so ready to start. We've been okay. playing around with wires yeah. for an hour and I'm giddy with I excitement. I actually have like a question this <gasps> week that I didn't just come up with on the fly Okay, Emlyn. Yes. Do you know who the first female electrical engineering professor in the country was? And do you know what university hired her? I'm going to say Columbia, because that just seems like a safe bet at this point. And uh, one, no idea. No, no, no. And wrong. <laughs> On both counts? I mean, it was a woman. Yeah. But well, I didn't <laughs> guess that. You kind of gave yeah. that one away. Her name was Edith Clark, and the first university to hire her was UT. Oh, nice. A university we're sitting in right now. Can you feel the ambiance? Yeah, and she would be proud of us for using actual recording (laughs) equipment (laughs) in a studio. She would have helped us out earlier. Yeah, because she was super tech savvy. Yeah, nice. nice. She would not have... uh, Recorded from her laptop for 17 Probably episodes. Probably not. No. But also, she's never seen a laptop. That's true. So. Maybe she would have. <laughs> we never know. Um, yeah. So the woman I'm going to tell you about today is Edith, Edith Clark. Clark? Yeah. <laughs> oh, good job. You got it. <laughs> I guessed oh, it. Wow. Good wow. job. Okay. So Edith was born on February 10th. I'm going to get started now. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I figured. I figured that's okay, what was okay. happening. So Edith was born on February 10th, 1884 in Howard County, Maryland, near Ellicott City. She lived on a large farm. You look like, yes, yeah, something <laughs> I to was, say. I was, no, no, I was trying to visualize where in the country Maryland was, and then I got had deep shame, and then I figured it out. Uh, D.C., yeah, yeah, coast, yeah, yeah. It's just, East Coast. I haven't had enough yeah. coffee. <laughs> yeah. It's a weird time to record. Yeah, yeah. We got, instead of our usual cold brew i got a coffee cold brew you know instead of beer whatever (laughs) beer's a cold brew it doesn't matter we'll cut that out hopefully (laughs) anyway okay so beyond the first sentence (laughs) yes sorry keep going i will not interrupt no 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 please do okay i will interrupt 
So, yeah, she was born in 1884 um, and lived on a large farm in an upper middle class family. She had eight siblings. Dad was John Ridgely Clark, and her mother was Susan Dorsey Onings Clark. And that's about all I know oh. about them. <laughs> hey, that's just so many. I mean, we talk about this every time, know, but it's so just so many, many children. Kids. But it's on a farm, so you can, like, give them various tasks. One of them's got to make it, right? Yeah. That's why you have so many. Yeah, and some of them are going to die, so. Yeah, you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Okay. So, as a kid, she had some troubles with reading and spelling. Maybe was dyslexic? I don't know. Um, But she was really good at math and loved games and puzzles. Okay. Yeah. Her father died when she was seven, and then her mother died when she was 12. Ouch. Making her uncle her legal guardian, who quickly sent her to a boarding school in Maryland. This sounds like the beginning of, um, oh, no, what are those? The unfortunate series of events. Oh, I never watched that. Mm. Oh, is Neil Patrick Harris Uh an uncle? Yeah, he's, I think it's an uncle, or it's like some distant relative. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Nice. Okay. When she turned, so she went to boarding school. There's not much about that time. Mm -hmm. When she turned 18, she received a small inheritance from her parents' estate and used it to enroll at Vassar College in Poughkeepsie, New York. Nice. So at the time, Vassar, I think, was just a women's college. And she um, studied math and astronomy and graduated with her bachelor's in 1908. Oh, cool. So she was kind of, yeah, she was maybe one of the first women in the U.S. to go to college. Mm -hmm. She like she was part of that generation when women were starting to go to universities. Yeah. Okay. After graduating, she moved around a little bit. She first taught math and physics at a private school in San Francisco. And then she moved to West Virginia to teach at Marshall College. Uh, yeah, that's that. Love it. She then moved to <laughs> Madison, Wisconsin and enrolled at the university there, okay. University of Wisconsin, yeah, yeah. to get another undergrad degree, um, but this time in civil engineering. What was the first one in? Math and astronomy. Okay. So she's a very mathy yeah, person. Math-y, science-y. Yeah, mathy, She really likes that. Why... Um, another degree? Well, I'm just or... thinking, like, why another bachelor's versus... Is it that you had to have specifically those requirements to get in like a master's so you couldn't kind of, I feel like now you can switch over. Like if someone had a math degree, they could definitely go into like an engineering master's program or whatnot. Yeah. I'm not sure if she wanted to do a master's program, Mm. but wasn't allowed to do it because of like course requirements or just like being a lady. It's not really, wasn't really clear to me. I gotcha. Yeah. Okay. The summer after her first year at University of Wisconsin, she was hired to be a computer. So that's when we didn't actually have like the technology. How do I say this? Like she was the computer. I was thinking that calculations. I mean, it's accurate when you said she was a computer, but I just thought that she like sat there and went. Beep, beep. <laughs> no, <laughs> she did a lot more than that. It's this is like when basically usually women were hired mm. to do calculations for male researchers at different tech companies. 
Gotcha. So, like, in Hidden Figures, you know, all those women were computers. Mm -hmm. Um, And, I I mean, the word computer means, like, someone that computes. And then the things we use now were named after the people who used to do those things. So we replaced people with technology yet again. But people don't fit in my school bag as well. This is true. Yeah. And they don't yeah, like it. I don't want to carry much. someone around with me no. all day like, hey, can you read this email? Like, send them an email back. <laughs> anyway. So, yeah, she was hired uh, to be a computer for a research engineer at AT&T in mm. Boston. Okay. And AT&T at this time was part of the Bell Telephone yeah, Company. Yeah. Okay. yeah. The engineer she went to work for, I think he's famous. His name is George Campbell. I'm pretty sure he's famous, but I don't know a lot of these people. Yeah. So, yeah, it's hard for me to say. He had been working on problems related to the use of vacuum tube amplifiers on long-distance telephone lines. Yeah? Yep. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And the parent company, Bell, was trying to produce the first transcontinental telephone line, and they wanted to open that telephone line the same time as the panama canal was finished okay being made so you could call you could call panama Uh, no like it was across the u.s oh wait transcontinental interesting yeah i don't know where across the continent or from one continent to another i think it was across our continent okay so like east to west or something yeah okay but for some reason, they were like, we need this to be done the same time. I think they were just setting this kind of arbitrary deadline for themselves. Yeah. Like, that would be cool if when the Pan- Panama Canal is finished, we also have this telephone line. Sure. Sure. <laughs> they seem like just good technologies. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they were hiring a lot of people to expand research on telephone lines. And, you know, they graciously included women in this search, though women weren't allowed to be engineers. Mm -hmm. They were only hired as computers. So she really liked, Edith really liked the work she was doing with AT&T and decided to stay on working there instead of going back to University of Wisconsin. Okay. Um, I mean, she already had a bachelor's. Yeah, I I mean, like, if you have a cool job that you like, why get another bachelor's? (laughs) One bachelor's is enough. And this apprenticeship taught her skills and technology she would need to know for the rest of her career. Um, One of the major computational tasks she was assigned was to calculate the first seven terms of an infinite series that represented a probability function. So she was just like doing calculus. Yeah. Right? That's calculus. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I was like, how? I was like, do I have to explain She, one of her first tasks was to calculate the first seven terms of an infinite series that represented a probability function. And another woman actually was assigned to calculate the next, like, 11 terms after her. And then another woman checked all of their work. Okay. I don't know if that is calculus. I mean, unless it's the, like... It's analysis or something. (laughs) Who knows? I haven't done any of this stuff since high school, like math. Yeah. I mean, a probability function, I guess, like finding that area under it is yeah. calculus, but I don't know if, in, I don't know about infinite series. Just Calculating throw my hand terms up. in a series? Did you ever do that? In an infinite series? Yeah. 
You know no. when you do like n plus one over n exclamation point stuff like that to calculate oh, terms in a series. Gotcha. Like Fibonacci sequence or okay. something. Yeah. I think that that's probably not a series. As a sequence it's a series. <laughs> these are these are all good questions. Uh, tell us. I'm going to get a lot of things wrong, I'm pretty <laughs> sure. I try to break th- some things down later, and yeah. I think I fail, but we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> so, I'm sure we'll learn some things. Like, yeah, it's been... Two ele- weeks since ele- you looked at me. <laughs> it's been... Um, yeah, it's been 11 years since I took a math class that wasn't statistics. Yeah. In 1915, she joined a new department at AT AT&T, the Protection Engineering Department, where she was in charge of a small group of women computers. And this was during World War I. So I think that they were doing research on communications Mm -hmm. for war efforts. In the meantime, she was taking night classes at Hunter College and at Columbia in radio technology and engineering. So she still really wanted to be an engineer. Yeah. In 1918, um, Edith decided to leave AT&T and enroll full-time in an electrical engineering undergraduate program at MIT. So much time being an undergrad. (laughs) She's taken so many classes at so many different universities. Can you imagine being, I mean, like, I know a lot of people go back to college, but like being with undergrads, like you're getting progressively older and you're like fucking undergrad still. college then was so different. Yeah. I'm just imagining (laughs) still being an undergrad now and dealing with undergrads. No, I mean, I deal with them all the time. Yeah. Still. Love, love ya. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So she, okay, but listen to this. So in 1918, she enrolled in an electrical engineering program at MIT and finished oh, nice. that year. What? I don't, How do you do that? I think just she was like, look, I've taken all these classes. I don't want to be with undergrads anymore. <laughs> Get me um, out of here. So I, I presume that she could use her classes from Columbia and Hunter College Mm. as um cre- like for yeah. credits or something like that Makes sense. yeah and what she graduated and enrolled immediately in an electrical engineering master's program at mit nice. moving up yeah and moving right along. she received her degree that the next year in 1919 okay so now she has a master's degree in electrical engineering nice and she was the first woman to earn a degree in electrical engineering from MIT. Her thesis was entitled, you this look is at- a great thesis okay. name, okay. Behavior of a Lumpy Artificial <laughs> Transmission Line as the Frequency is Indefinitely Increased. I've never heard <laughs> lumpy used in any official... Yeah, engineering capacity. I don't know what that want- means. Maybe it has, like a- Maybe it has an official... like. Right. I want to somehow fit lumpy into my thesis. I think we could. Thesis Those theme. lumpy eggs, like the, <laughs> uh, the sex chromosomes of a group of lumpy eggs. <laughs> the lumpy microbiome yeah. of a spider. <laughs> I could probably fit it in. Yeah. The, the lumpy gonads of an uh. infected <laughs> snail. That's amazing. Yeah. You have to do that. <laughs> <laughs> like You have to, you know. Okay. Okay. I was trying to figure out a title anyway, so uh, yeah. we'll just call it that. <laughs> After graduating, even though she had this master's degree now, she still had trouble getting hired as an engineer 
at any major like tech companies. Um, but so she ended up taking a job as a computer again for the turbine engineering department of the General Electric Company or GE. That's so much schooling to then go back to the job that you had before yeah. you did all that schooling. Yeah. Which Ugh. is, yeah, it sucks. So at the time, like electricity was rapidly expanding across the US and mm-hmm. GE was one of the major companies like doing that. Um, so again, they were hiring a lot of people to do research or work as computers on research projects. And so at GE, she led another group of women computers, this time in the calculation of mechanical stresses in high-speed turbine rotors. Yeah. Going to leave that there. Yep, 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 yep. Okay. In June 1921, Clark filed a patent application for her invention of a graphical calculator to be used in the solution of transmission line problems. Oh. So graphical calculator is not like a ti-89 yeah it's not like a graphing yeah it's actually like she drew graphs and then had these little radial arms that you put on the graphs and depending on you know different um parameters basically you move the arms and they'll point you to a solution huh yeah it's it's a little confusing without looking at it yeah but I can upload the patent onto her or put oh. a link to the patent and okay. you can actually see her patent. That's and cool. The things she drew and stuff. At the time in 1921, engineers and analysts were still doing calculations with using assumptions that are only true if transmission lines are really short. But remember, they're trying to build like, you Transcontinental. know, things yeah, that are going across the country. And, you know, that was telephone lines, but now they're doing it also with electrical power lines. Um, But so according to Clark, the assumptions were just not justifiable and the transmission line, which is being investigated, becomes comparatively long, say a few hundred miles. Uh And so the current calculations were leading to significant errors. Um, However, taking into account the qualities of longer transmission lines meant a lot of labor and Mm -hmm. a lot of time had to go into the calculations. So that's why she created this calculator that would essentially decrease time and number of people needed to do calculations. That's cool. Yeah. So in 1923, so she applied for that patent in 1921 In 1923, she published her first technical paper in the GE Review describing the calculator's use in construction. Specifically, her paper included a derivation of equations relating line current voltage impedance and admittance that could be solved by means of her calculator. And I'm not going to explain what any of those things are because it's like my... My thing with math and physics and engineering is every time I look up a definition, I have to like look up every word in the definition. Have you tried? Um, oh yeah, simple shoot. Wikipedia. No, or I is it done called? That. Yeah, it's like language Sim- equals simple. Yeah, something like Wikipedia. that. I should have done that. But still, yeah, I, I agree. It's it's you can get into yeah. circular definitions, right? Yeah. Take you Where down it's a like hole. the current is the wave of the this and the that, and you're just like, can you just tell me like what that is? Like what are elect- the electrons doing or whatever? I don't know. You just get, you can get so f- 
go down a rabbit hole of trying to define things in a very clear manner. Yeah. Okay. So, and then finally in 1925, she received the patent for her calculator. And since she was not a salaried engineer at GE, they didn't get any credit for it. Nice. So, ha ha to them. I was, I was worried where, how that was going to go. Yeah. Um, and interestingly enough, before she actually received the patent, but after she applied to it, she left GE and moved to Istanbul, well, what is now Istanbul, Turkey, to teach physics at the Constantinople Women's College. Oh. She was just looking for something different. That's, a, that's <laughs> quite a shift. Yeah. Interesting. Um, so there she combined her love of travel with the more practical work of teaching physics to mm-hmm. like young women. And when her contract, teaching contract ended, she took four months to travel in Europe. I love her I style. I think she was just like, you know what? I'm if you're not going to give me a job, I'm yeah, going to have fun. I'm going to apply for this patent like for my dope uh, invention. Yeah. Yeah. That's saving you all lots of time and I'm going to go travel. Yeah. In 1922, um, she returned to the States and was rehired by GE, but this time she was hired as an electrical engineer. Woo! Yeah. So finally, at the age of 39, she was hired as an engineer. <sighs> like, that's crazy. Okay. She worked for probably 20 years as a computer, mm-hmm. you know? So some sources, like the National Inventors Hall of Fame, claim that this made her the first professional woman professionally employed as an electrical engineer in the u.s oh yeah nice and now that she was a salaried engineer she could join like engineering societies Uh so she joined the american institute of electrical engineers also in this position she used a lot of her work with at&t on telephone line transmission theory to improve power line engineering across the country okay So life as an engineer. She applied for a new patent for another invention that allowed transmission lines to be operated near their maximum power limits. This invention is too complicated for me to describe (laughs) in my own words. I could describe it, but I could also just say it helps power lines operate near their maximum power limits. I mean, I'm happy with that. Okay. If you're happy with that. Yeah. I'm I'm going to include a source that describes all of her inventions kind of in detail. Okay. So if people are interested, they can read. Um, yeah. They can read the paper by James Britton from Computer to Electrical Engineer, The Remarkable Career of Edith Clark. And he's an engineer that wrote this biography gotcha. of her. Okay. Okay, so in February, so she applied for another patent. She was just really, like, creative. And, yeah. Yeah. Gotta get those patents. So in 1926, she became the first woman to present a paper for the, or with the American Institute of Electrical Engineers. Nice. So I guess that's like giving a talk at one of their meetings, basically. And this paper was titled, Steady State Stability in Transmission Systems Calculation by Means of Equivalent Circuits or Circle Diagrams. (laughs) Yeah. So much. (laughs) Why why is there no lumpy in there? I, don't I think know. that would I know. really enhance. I think everything should include lumpy from now on. Yeah. Every paper. Yeah. Except let's, except let's breasts. It, everything should be lumpy except breasts. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, continue. True. <laughs> <laughs> except breasts. 
In the paper, she discusses the growing problem of electrical system stability given the trends toward longer transmission lines. Mm -hmm. And to address this problem, she showed how engineers could use hyperbolic functions for calculating maximum power of a line without instability. So basically, like she presented this paper about how we can make long transmission lines more stable. Okay. And these are electrical or um, yeah. phone? These are electrical. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So these are like the wires you see with the towers mm-hmm. and there's three of them. Yeah. It's those lines. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Many of the famous engineers in attendance at her presentation were impressed not only by her work, calling it ingenious, Ooh. but also by her ability to present her complicated work clearly to an audience. So nice. she was a really good presenter awesome. and they were just impressed by her work in general. And the New York Times published an article about this presentation titled, Woman Addresses Electrical Institute. Miss Edith Clark, the only one of her sex to read a paper at engineers meeting. And... Which is, like, crazy that that's news. Yeah. I don't know. In which they state that her paper was <laughs> bristling with graphs and equations and complex mathematical formulas. Bristling. <laughs> Interesting. Like, it probably was news then, but it's also, like, is it news that a woman could do this? Or is it just news that this is the first time they let a woman do this? Hopefully the latter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And she became, she quickly became known for her ability to take extremely complicated mathematical formulas and functions and simplify or streamline them so that they were less labor intensive. Nice. So that, that's what a lot of her inventions were doing and Saving a lot time. of her papers. Yeah. yeah. Around this time, she also began studying the method of symmetrical components, which is a method that simplifies <laughs> analysis of unbalanced three-phase power systems by converting the problem to balanced or symmetrical systems that are easier to analyze. I comprehend what you're telling me. I comprehend what you're throwing down. Other engineers like L.G. Stockvis and Charles Fortescue, I'm just name dropping in case there are any engineers listening that are like, where are all the famous men? (laughs) Uh, They had published papers describing this method, and she had been, you know, reading those papers and researching how to use the method in her work to simplify or clarify the the power systems that were quickly becoming more complicated Mm -hmm. as electricity was spreading across the country. In 1931, she presented her first paper using this method again to the um, American Institute of Electrical Engineers. In this paper... Yes. She extended the method that others had used to determine the effect of single faults to the analysis of two or more simultaneous faults involving a three-phase transmission system, where faults in a circuit are failures that interfere with the normal flow of current. Okay. So she looked at multiple failures. Yeah. And how it affected transmission right. and stuff yeah and like stability of power lines okay so easy yeah. easy what i think this means and anyone can tell me <laughs> if i'm a dummy <laughs> is that she was basically determining methods to more accurately define what happens during electrical transmission if a circuit fails and okay. how to like fix that yeah. or something 
and maybe how bad it can get yeah like how if you know yeah multiple faults how bad that is it seems like a lot of her work was very theoretical Mm -hmm. so like i didn't read a lot about how this like translated into the physical like changing of the actual power lines but i think it did i just don't know how exactly so clark's third um paper that she presented to the electrical engineer society in may 1932 was awarded a prize as the best paper of the year in the northern district the subject was multiple conductor transmission lines where two or more conductors were used per phase in a three-phase power line and again she used symmetric components methods In 1941, she and Selden B. Crary, another GE engineer, presented a joint paper at the meeting that was awarded a prize as the best paper of the year nationally. And this contained a comprehensive analysis of the problem of stability on long transmission lines. And this was the first time data had that anyone used data in a paper that was obtained from a network analyzer. Hmm which is a, an instrument that measures network parameters of electrical networks. Okay. I don't know what those parameters <laughs> are. Like, that's, I mean, this is what I mean. Like, how circular is that? Yeah. It measures network parameters of electrical networks. It doesn't really explain what a network analyzer, you know, like. Yeah. Like, I could come guess up with that a an, better definition. An, a network analyzer <laughs> yeah. analyzes networks. Right. So, (laughs) I mean, that's Wikipedia, but it's also like, I don't know. Okay. In 1943, (laughs) she published a book that she'd been working on for years titled Circuit Analysis of AC Power Systems. And I think this is still like a very widely known Mm -hmm. or like well-used book. Yeah. And it was based on her own lecture notes from talks she'd given over the years at GE I think it's been was used as a textbook in engineering classes for a long time. And the principal focus of the book was on the use of symmetrical components and modified symmetrical components in the solution of problems related to polyphase power transmission. Yeah. I'm just yeah. saying all these same words over and over again. Somebody out there probably knows what they mean. I would hope so. Yeah. I mean, I looked it up, but it's just like, it's too much to try to explain. Yeah, I understand. Okay. She retired from GE on July 31st, 1945, but accepted an opportunity to teach electrical engineering at the University of Texas in the spring of 1947. Nice. Yay. That's where we are. And this made her the first female electrical engineering professor in the country. Nice. Her initial intention was to teach for only four months, but she returned to teach in the fall and continued to teach at UT until 1956 when she retired again. (laughs) And while at the University of Texas, she worked occasionally as a consultant on the design of a number of dams in the West, including the Hoover Dam. Oh, yeah. Nice. Which is pretty cool. Where is the Hoover Dam? That is, shoot, I've actually been there. It's like between, it's in Arizona sure, or Nevada. Okay. The West, I guess is what you said yeah. before. Yeah. Okay. Maybe it's between Nevada and Arizona. Is there a border there? Well, whatever. <laughs> okay. In 1948, she became the first woman to be made a fellow of the American Institute of Electrical Engineers 
and a second volume of her work on power system analysis was published in 1950. And she was honored by the Society of Women Engineers in 1954, and she officially retired in 1956 to move back home to Maryland. She died October 29, 1959, and in 2015, she was inducted into the National Inventors Hall of Fame in nice. the U.S. for the Clark Calculator, her first, the first patented okay, nice. invention. Do you think she made much money from that? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know, like, how widely used it was or for how long. Yeah. If it's only geared towards electrical engineers. Yeah. Yeah. But Bell got none of that money. Or GE got none of it. Well, Neither did Bell. <laughs> So you're, yes, you're right. You're right. They did it. Um in an interview at the Daily Texan on March fourteenth, nineteen forty eight, she observed there is no demand for women engineers as such as there are for women doctors, but there's always a demand for anyone who can do a good piece of work. All right. And I don't really understand what that means. <laughs> like, why is there a demand for women doctors? I don't, like, is there? Or I just, I guess I'm just not sure. This was 1948. So I'm like, what does that mean? There's no demand for them. Yeah. Like, I guess nobody's Nobody calling wants out. to hire women? Or, or like, nobody's like, we gotta have women in engineering oh, at yeah. that time. Okay. But for some reason, they're like, we gotta have women in yeah the hospital so i don't know if this was meant to be encouraging or just like <laughs> stating the truth well i guess like, i mean do- at least the doctor thing like it was right after world war ii yeah right, right so yeah. they did need a lot of women in the you know Work medical place. yeah area times yeah <laughs> sure and then in his biography of her, James Britton writes, just sort of to summarize her career, he says, her engineering career had as its central theme the development and dissemination of mathematical methods that tended to simplify and reduce the time spent in laborious calculations and solving problems in the design and operation of electrical power systems. She translated what many engineers found to be esoteric mathematical methods into graphs or simpler forms during a time when power systems were becoming more complex and when the initial efforts were being made to develop electromechanical aids to problem solving. As a woman who worked in an environment traditionally dominated by men, she demonstrated effectively that women could perform at least as well as men if given the opportunity. And her outstanding achievements provided an inspiring example for the next generation of women with aspirations to become career engineers. Awesome. So that's sort of a whole summary of yeah. her, yeah, of her legacy. I guess. I feel like her and uh, Lillian Gilbreth would get along just if, like, let's just not waste a lot of time. Yeah, let's just, just be like, efficient. Let's just get to it. Yeah. Like, why are we spending all this time doing all this stuff? Yeah, we've got other things to do. We want to travel Europe. Yeah, we want to have twenty-seven children. <laughs> well, we don't she have. Did, I no, don't no. think she had any children. She, she did the Europe traveling. Lillian did. The, yeah a lot of children having right but they both seem like and together let's not yeah. waste time yeah um yeah i didn't find a lot about her personal life yeah. or anything but i mean maybe her life was just being a really great engineer yeah you know so yeah. i love it so that's edith clark that's yeah. great yay okay okay work 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 work
Okay, so this is the women who work section. The women make, <laughs> making sultry voice. This is the woman who work. This is a section where we talk about women making <laughs> history today. Yeah. Okay, so I posted this on Twitter. Talked about this on Twitter, but okay. yeah, I don't know how many Twitter people we have. Um, yeah. So I'm just going to talk about it again. So I have one shout out this week. And my shout out this week goes to Dr. Christine Blasey Ford. Yeah. Um, who is a psychologist and professor of statistics at Palo Alto University. And my shout out goes to her because she is standing up for what is right and putting her scientific career and life on the line. And right now, Christine Blasey Ford's narrative is completely saturated by uh, Kavanaugh. Kavanaugh? Who cares? <laughs> and what he no, allegedly... I mean, like, how to pronounce yeah, his name. Yeah, yeah. And what he allegedly did to her, uh, rather than um, her own narrative and what she's accomplished. And so I guess I just wanted to take a few minutes to celebrate Dr. Blasey Ford for the scientist that she is and what she's accomplished. Yeah. Um, so Ford, according to a another professor, she specializes in s- designing statistical models for research projects in order to make sure they come to accurate conclusions so essentially she's trying to make us all better scientists yeah by coming up with statistics and rigorous kind of experimental designs that make sure scientists find significance where it exists and don't find it where it doesn't so important yeah Yeah. really important for actually (laughs) for everyone yeah yeah all across the board and she's also researched uh depression uh how post-traumatic stress uh occurs after the 9-11 attacks She's also studied the social impact of hiding one's sexual orientation when young. And this study found that issues of identity may affect mental health outcomes in ways that previous studies have missed. Wow. So she's doing a lot of really important work, both for just science in general and these specific uh, topics yeah. uh, that psychologists are interested in and people are interested in yeah. in general. So I just wanted to give a shout out to her for the science that she does Uh, and we're Um, on your side and we're we're on your side yeah so yeah that's that's my shout out awesome i love it she's amazing yeah and i hope that she gets through this safely i I tried to find so like i I got most of this from her wikipedia yeah because if you try to research anything about her right all the about her science it's just impossible to find anything else it's just completely swamped so yeah, I managed to find I like um, Googled where you can kind of say you don't you're not interested like the you have the yeah, minus right. sign so I did like <laughs> minus Kavanaugh <laughs> minus victim minus like all these yeah, things right. and finally I got her research gate. Oh my god, that's <laughs> but it took crazy. quite a while. So um, yeah, so yeah. I think that's that's our episode today. Yeah, you can follow us everywhere now. At yeah, STEM Fatal pretty Pod. much. And definitely check out our uh, Stem Fatal Pod Instagram, mm-hmm. where our friend Caitlin Friesen has been uploading um, really cool art of all the women in our podcasts. And yeah, yeah. she's done. I think she's almost done every. Yeah. She's made art for almost every lady that we've done so far. And we might be doing some fun things cool. with that art at some point. Someday, <laughs> yeah. But we're not gonna talk about it now. Yeah. Um, and then thank you, Artichoke, for making our theme song. Yeah. And you can... Uh, stimulate go- yourself. <laughs> <Yeah>. Stimulate yourself. <laughs> I never remember. Uh, it's all good. Okay, all right. Bye. bye. <laughs> by circa 1820, she ran a fossil store. She put the bones together for...